0: You are now entering Odyssey Station. Please remain seated until docking is complete. Odyssey Dare to Wonder. Farpoint Media. Recording? Yes? Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're okay. recording. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Uh, this is Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Yay!
1: I thought you were going to do the usual of, you know, from the heart of the yeah. historic core of Berlin. Well, we're not Berlin. in the
0: start. We're, we're in the neighborhood of Berlin, known as Neukölln somewhere. We're at the uh, x convention for all of our friends online. Uh, we are at the... Who are you? I'm Dean Haglund. Yeah, let's start there. Dean Haglund from the X-Files, and you are... Phil Lernis. Your loyal, loyal servant. <laughs> you have been a stellar, uh, of course, Phil. I've been by your side as if I've always been there, and I always <laughs> will be. Yes, isn't that sad? You're depressing me now. But uh, no,
1: do we I- have any chill packs in the audience? We don't? Chill. We do, they, right? They're yeah, owners, okay, yeah. Good. They have chill oh, packs. I want to hear about this. No, not proud owners of the chill pack. Oh, not proud owners. I want to hear about the chill packs, this organization. Uh, this group? Organization. Yeah, that yeah. they had
0: their, the t-shirts made. That I still have mine. Thank you, yes. But now they're all wearing Gunman Mondo Bizarro shirts. As am I. As are you, look at you. What size is that? Because some people wanted a medium. Extra, extra large. Oh, it is. Yeah, I'm very big. <laughs> yes, you're big everywhere. So, uh, <laughs> I mean globally, you're, you're yes, well known. that's why I'm very popular. <laughs> I'm very popular globally. That's I think I'm the it. word we're looking for is creepy. <laughs> yes, very. Prove it. Linda wants you to prove it. Well. <laughs> Later. <laughs> uh, so what we normally do on our show is we talk about issues of filmmaking, uh, which we have been doing. We've been, of course, filming this entire event as part of our documentary called The Truth Is Out There, in which we go to conventions and start uh, investigating different conspiracies that come up. And so far, has any come up? I I got a really bad cold. That is part of the... That's the oh, man sure, coming down on yeah, you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's right. As soon as they... Fa- something was slipped to me in that bunker the other night. Oh, right. Yeah, I yes. so.
0: We toured the Stasi uh, prison block uh, yeah. bunker. Uh, and we went to the bomb shelter as well. That right, bunker. right. Is right, that where right. they slipped you something? I think so. Oh, well, yeah. You know. Well, you shouldn't go there. Uh, <laughs> but now Phil's feeling bad, so we will, uh, of course, take questions. If anybody has a question... Feel free to walk to the microphone and I will answer questions about the X Files or what we're doing, or even Phil will answer questions if you have one for him. No. (laughs) (laughs) No one has. What's. or favorite conspiracies, even. You did a show last night. I did a show last night. Yeah, oh no. You have a question? Very good. First question Why are you forced. Yay, first question. You never forget. What's your name? Hi Sabrina, how are you? I have a question. And uh, which formal series do you want?
2: Like, do you would to like
0: to play? Which formal formal series movie?
2: movie?
0: Yeah, which do you No know, no. Would I like to play yes. that I haven't done yet? Yes. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I would like to be Beowulf. <laughs> <laughs> that yes. I am Beowulf! Um, no, my family tree. I'm from uh, the Haglund family. comes from Sweden, and <laughs> one person. <laughs> Very popular country. And um, <laughs> uh, my uh, cousin researched our family tree and traced us back to the illegitimate offspring of King Eric the Fourteenth in 1540. Yes, so. He uh, he had uh, relations with the stable maid, and off came the Haglin line. That's uh... <laughs> so, uh, and then from Eric the Fourteenth, you can trace back the Vasa line all the way to Eric the Red and uh, Leif Erikson, and from there that apparently goes back to the traditions of Beowulf. So I am a direct descendant of Beowulf, really. <laughs> yes. Uh... So that would be one. I have to go to the gym a little, I think, to get that Viking look, but good question. So you want to play Beowulf? I want to play Beowulf, because I'm the direct descendant of Beowulf. Now
1: your background, uh, in addition to comedy, is also in dance, is it not?
0: <laughs> well, yes. When you I was in- You dance right, In university, I took uh, three years ballet and four years modern dance. Yes, thank you. Right, no. Uh, show us? Yeah, No. no. What yeah. happened? Go ahead.
2: No,
1: it's on display. A, a bastardized version of it is on display in one of the Gunman episodes, is it not? It, that's
2: right.
0: It, in the one where we... It's the tango episode of the Lone Gunman, and we all have to audition to enter the tango contest. Each one of us, they just let the camera roll and say, do whatever you want, and they edit it, my modern dance ballet phenomena <laughs> into a short little flash dance uh, stripy act, it seemed to me.
1: And did you have to pretend to be
0: bad? I mean, I thought one of the challenges <laughs> was... No, well, that, no, that you had to kind of downplay it a little bit. Well, I hadn't been working out in some time, so it wasn't that hard to downplay. Oh. Uh, modern dance requires um, hours and hours of training. Mm-hmm. And once you stop that... Hours training.
1: of training. <laughs> it requires hours. Modern
0: dance takes hours of training. Don't, don't think that you can just wake up in the morning and become a modern dancer. No. It requires a lot of work. How about that? <laughs> but what happened was I actually blew my knee out. Uh, and I didn't realize it. I thought I just twisted it. But I actually destroyed my uh, anterior crucius ligament, which is the ligament that goes from the back of your... Shall I show here? Look at that. <laughs> this part of the leg right here. There's a, a ligament there that I had completely destroyed and didn't know for 10 years. So I walked around just with one ligament holding my leg together. And then I had finally got a, uh, an x-ray and they said, do you want a new one? And I said, okay. And they said, we'll just wait for someone to die and then we'll harvest it from him and give it to you. And then five days later, I get a phone call. Come on in. Somebody's dead. Somebody's dead. And you're the lucky winner. <laughs> and so uh, they uh, there was six of us in the room, and basically you go under, and they just drill it in with bolts made of uh, milk, lactic acid, so that it dissolves into your bone over a year and then the bone grows around the ligament, and now I have a brand new ligament. Now, if I blew
1: out my knee, I'm lactose intolerant. I can't have milk, so would I be able to have that then? Yeah, you would get titanium. Oh. Yes, and that would show up on x-ray. Now, (laughs) everyone here has heard of the chill pack, right? Dean's invention? Yes, and some have it.
0: I brought three of them and sold them all.
1: And did you know that it's because of the knee injury that he's talking about that he invented the chill pack? well, you knew that. Okay, we're done. Good night. <laughs> a...
0: What well, you want to hear the story, right? Well, because of my knee, it was often easily injured, and I. Uh, the local... I
1: remember. I remember. I came over to your place one time. We were talking about working on a script together, and I came over and I said, "What are you watching?" Because he was watching something and kind of laughing and going, "Oh, that's interesting." He was watching his surgery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They had taped his surgery Yeah, video they, they gave me
0: a DVD of it.
1: And he, yeah, and he was watching it. Like,
0: because, quite frankly, it was your best work. <laughs> it was. I really got close up to myself. You were hysterical. <laughs> well, they have to use a, uh, a microscopic camera to put the ligament in and, and drill it in. So, because they have a camera, it's hooked up to a recorder. So, they said, "Well, just throw a tape in and you get a copy of it after your operation. And it is the grossest thing, because you see all sorts of stuff swirling around, and it's like, it actually... uh, But
1: you love that stuff, you love gross horror movies. Well, yes,
0: but funny, you came the second day, I was watching it again, because the first day (laughs) I nearly passed out watching (coughs) it. It, it, The color went from my cheeks, realizing, so I was watching it over and over again, to uh, get used, to, to desensitize myself to my own bodily fluids, is that right? That doesn't sound good. Anyway, how the Intel Pack was invented was I. Um, the backstory was the Lone Gunmen were invited by Apple Computer to a party up in um, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, and there uh, it was the launch of the operating system OS X X Files. They thought it'd be a fun connection. They were all fans, so we go to this giant warehouse uh, blimp hangar that's in te- in Silicon Valley. And uh, we have the drinks. And I get drunk with all the engineers who make the laptop. And they say, they tell me everything that's going to be wrong with the laptop for the next 10 years. And they say they're going to get faster. They're going to get smaller. It's going to generate more heat. Heat slows down the processor and will actually warp the hard drive so that in 18 months the laptop could be non-functional and that fans don't work. Fans only blow air. And if it's a hot day, you're making it like a convection oven. You're actually cooking your own laptop. So these are all the things. And then they give me one as a gift. There you go. There's a laptop. that does. Thank you very much. That's great. So I take it home and I'm watching a movie on it uh, while I had uh, injured my knee again. And so I had a, one of the cold medical packs that you put on your knee. And as I'm watching the movie, about an hour into it, the movie stops playing. It just locks up completely. The screen, everything goes blank. And I go, oh, well. And I just pick up the whole laptop and I put it over here on my knee to start doing something else. And then the movie starts playing again. And I went, aha. (laughs) Of course, because my major was theater, but I also did classes in physics and (laughs) exothermodynamics. Thank you, yes. And as you know, the direct application of cold transfers heat to the cold. And that started the process of working again. So I realized, hey, if I made these with a condensation-proof sleeve on it, insulate it so that you're not freezing your leg, just the laptop, I could sell them as chill packs.
1: And of course, our listeners around the world can find out more at <laughs> C-H-I-L-L-P-A-K <laughs> chillpack.com. C-H-I-L-L-P-A-K.com.
0: Which is why we're called Pack Hollywood Hour. And that's our only commercial. <laughs> that's it, yeah. that's the only ad you'll hear. Um, right, any other questions? Hi, Marie. Uh, Do you have some personal ideas about what the third movie should be about? Do I have personal ideas? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is dangerous
1: territory. See,
0: I I was very much a very strict uh, no Romo. Uh, I didn't want David, I mean, Mulder and Scully. (laughs) I didn't want David. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, Mulder and Scully should not have ever uh, lived together. So in the movie, they wake up. We disagree on this. We disagree. He thinks. Right. So no one agrees with me.
1: Having actually watched the show, let me say (laughs) that it's obvious that they're in love. Quite, quite. uh, I agree. And it, it is logical, and most romances do develop in the workplace. Uh, okay, fine. So it's authentic and it's truthful.
0: I appreciate For that. example, our rope. No, 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 no. <laughs> <Ew. laughs> Creepy. No, uh, I think there was a fantastic uh, example of two people that uh, respected each other professionally. <clears throat> that there was a relationship that wasn't based on lust or how good-looking they were, or all that sort of thing. It was based on intellect and intelligence and respect. And so you're
1: saying that romance can't have respect. (laughs) Is
0: that what you're saying? No, I'm saying by moving in together and just having them live in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, it negates
1: all of that. This is a chill-pack Hollywood hour first, because I've never been the good guy before.
0: That's true. Yeah, You've always been the bastard, and now oh. I'm the bastard here. I mean, we, where we
1: did agree about the second film was that it was probably not a smart choice to make the movie, because it didn't open it up to people who weren't fans before and as a business decision probably wasn't, wasn't. Uh, if, if a smarter decision had been made about how to make it more available to new fans, we wouldn't be having a discussion of what should the third film be about? Will there be a third film? I mean, it would be a, a fait accompli. I
0: mean, right, be- exactly. And I know Frank and everybody said they're gonna try get a film together, but there's still no green light from the studio on it. So, uh, you know, as much as we all would love a third film, There's somebody above us all called a studio executive. Somebody above us all. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All you people answer to (laughs) studio executives. No, I mean above Chris Carter. Chris Carter, everybody's on board, but it's the executives at Fox that ultimately make that decision on whether the movie goes forward. I'd
1: like to know whether the people here think that the Lone Gunman
0: died. Did the Lone Gunman die? No. It's interesting. It's interesting, right? Yes. Though some people think... Are they ghosts? We're just in denial. Is that right? They just No, but you yourself say that uh, yeah. those coffins at the end... Yeah. What about what about the... The coffins are... I mean, we... Yeah, well, we're, we die and we have a, a horrible disease. And with the level five quarantine steel coffin, they're supposed to be fitted to the size of the person who died so that there's no airspace, so that disease can't propagate inside the coffin and, and re-spread. This is a center of disease control standard. I need one of those now. <laughs> yes, you do. You're a sick man. But uh, but at the funeral, they show three coffins and they're all the same size, but with the gunmen, one of us is shorter than the other two. We're not going to mention I'm names. I'm not naming names Who's shorter. But theoretically, if that was accurate, they should have had One little five-foot coffin and a couple regular. (laughs) Not that he's a little five-foot. Right. He's short, that's all. So that's the proof that we were not in the coffins and that somehow, however you get out of a sealed emergency hospital thing and not get infected... We did it. So That's the thing, yes. So the characters could
1: have gone into hiding. Could have gone deep into hiding. Could have gone deep into Could have, in have mind changed mind. their looks could entirely. Could have changed their looks. Byers might have taken off his tie. Yes. You, Lang- Langley, might have cut his hair. Could have
0: happened. Yeah, you don't know. Got contacts, exactly. <laughs> Not wearing the glasses. So, yes, we're, well, yes. If, for those who regularly listen to our podcast, we often hint at a uh, potential... Um, project that we're working on exclusively with the Lone Gunman,
1: with the actors who played the Lone Gunman. Yes, not to be confused by the characters of the Lone Gunman whatsoever. Right, because just, that's a
0: Fox license. Right, it right. just happens
1: to be a film about three uh, computer hacking journalists. Right, who bear a lot of resemblance to mm-hmm. characters we all love, right. who happen to be played by the same actors. That could happen. The name of the movie just happens to be called
0: Back from the Dead. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. So we'll just say that on the cover. Dean, Tom, and Bruce are back from the dead. Yeah, yeah. you know that.
1: You know them from the Lone Gunmen. Right. But now they're back from the dead. Right. Yeah. But right. they're not those guys. Not those guys at all. <coughs> so if would anyone... anyone have any interest in seeing that film?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I. Now, would anybody interested in funding that film? <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. That's where we got to find that uh, issue. Make What's that? You know, make connections. Donations.
1: Donations. Oh, donations. Donations.
0: donations. Oh, yes. Let's start a little PayPal donation isn't there, fund. Isn't there a
1: charity thing going on later today? <laughs>
0: yes. I'm selling my sweaty T-shirt from last night's show, <laughs> which I should point out, I uh, I stink a lot. So. <laughs> You may not want to buy that, it might go down in price. How are those t-shirts? They look great on you, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. This is like two gangs. There's the Mondo Bizarro gang and, and the, then staff. the staff. The yeah, staff exactly. Gang, yeah. Sort of like the Bloods and the Crips. Sort of. They're going to fight <laughs> It's
1: going to be a fight. Uh, uh. You know, uh, l- last night Dean did his improv show. Yes. And, uh, we were talking about what the format of the show should be before, oh, right. beforehand. And he said, I'll just do the uh, I'll just do the Con. show I did at Dragon Con, where he did um, an X-Files movie <laughs> 1.5. He did a movie that came between the first movie and the second movie.
0: Wherein, <laughs>
1: wherein he convinces Mulder and Scully not to move in uh, with each other. Yeah, that's
0: right. That was the whole improv, so I had actors come He goes back. to
1: Scully's mom
0: I and says, Scully's this mom, can't happen. This can't happen. You've got to stop them moving in together. <laughs> and of course, I fail and they move in together. Oh, no, hooray! One person, hooray, you failed. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Yay, they moved in together. But yes, that was at Dragon Con in Atlanta. That happened in September, the first week of September. So that was just two months yes. ago. Oh, yeah. Six months A month and ago. a half ago. Yeah. Good God. Time's flying. Sure. That seems like years ago. Anyway, any other questions? Beginning of this podcast yeah. seems years ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Natasha. Hello. How are you? Oh, we want to interview Natasha. Yes. You uh, give a lovely... Wild, go, gr- go grab a hold of Natasha and don't let her escape. All right, <laughs>
0: producer. Uh, yeah, the last two seasons of The X-Files. The, um, it would have been better, uh, I think that, you know, Chris and Frank uh, originally just thought that they would just stop it around season five or six, and so they had that, they were writing for that story arc to sort of land, but then they realized that when you actually sell a show to a network, the network owns the show, and so they tell you when that show ends, so, um... They still had, they, they had thought that the, when it ended that it, they were going to go and keep that um, mythology going, so they had future plans, but then they had to just ramp that up. Uh, so it wasn't that they ran out of ideas, it was that they uh, were suddenly forced to make all of that happen quicker. Um, but I think they did it fairly successfully, because there were thought some really great episodes in there, and I thought Robert Patrick... For as much as the fans hated him. (laughs) Did they? When when they, when he, no, okay. At the end, they loved him. But when he first walked into that, he said the barrage of emails and stuff and the feedback that he got from the fans. fans. They were just American fans. Yes, (laughs) that's right. But he, he faced the... Uh, I, n-
1: I never liked Annabeth Gish. That was my thing. What? Yeah, I didn't. No, I would, and it would be really awful whenever she had a scene with Gillian Anderson because they'd cut to a close-up of Annabeth Gish and I would go, blah. And then, and then they'd cut to Gillian, bling.
0: <laughs> what? Yeah. Annabeth Gish is lovely. Uh, everyone agrees with you. See, that story
1: I started as a bad guy, and I became a good guy. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. the end of it. It's amazing how you Ex-con did Ex-con
0: audiences are the best audiences. <laughs> the <world>. But <laughs> yeah, um, I, I actually liked the way it continued on, uh, except how they explained uh, us lone gunmen uh, coming out of the blue. If it, What was weird was we were shooting the lone gunman spin-off uh, in between season six and seven, I think. And... They ended Seven and Eight, I would think, because it aired during oh, yeah, eight, Season Eight. yeah, Eight. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, in between Seven and Eight. That's right. So, uh, The Lone Gunman, at the end of our first season, we go down 16 stories to a vault that has all the conspiracies. We, our faces are blue. for. You have to see it to explain it. And, uh, and then, all of a sudden, there's uh, Errol Morris, and we are trapped, and it just says to be continued. And we're thinking, oh, great. And the writers had a great... Uh, Errol being...
1: Morris, first of all, Errol Morris is a famous documentary filmmaker. What was... Who did the Thin Blue Line. Morris... You mean Morris Fletcher. Morris right? Fletcher, yeah. yes. Yeah.
0: Did I say Errol Morris? What,
1: that would have been really yeah. quite surprising. <laughs> what the hell is a documentary <laughs> filmmaker doing down here? Morris Fletcher,
0: played yeah. by... Um, You're so
1: is... used to having a documentary filmmaker around you yeah, all the right. time. Yeah, that's I think now, of you right? as
0: Errol yeah. Morris. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, they had us uh, just come back in season eight with uh, our faces kind of blue... And then Robert Patrick goes, "What happened?" And we say, "Don't ask." <laughs> and we're like, "That's how we get out of that thing." Yeah. All right, well, I guess they're saving it in case it's ever picked up again somehow. Huh. Could happen. But yeah, good question. Any other questions? Y'all yeah, hear the outcome? Yes. Run. Hey, Tash. Oh. Hello. Oh.
2: <laughs>
1: she brings her own reverb. <laughs> yes.
0: is there any favorite and like ridiculous story, your favorite believable story and your most favorite Ridiculous, oh my god, did they just tell me I think the new
1: one is, I don't know if anybody has had a chance to watch the news this weekend, I think the new one is this kid supposedly trapped in the weather balloon.
0: Yes. Have you been seeing this? The helium it, balloon kid?
1: They're In, no? in Colorado, uh, there's this family that, uh, they're storm chasers. They have a reality show, they were also on the reality show Wife Swap. And <laughs> uh, they're, they're all about whoring their children for publicity. And anyway, they made a 911 call because they released this weather balloon and they were convinced that their six-year-old boy was trapped inside. And so all the authorities were following it for 50 miles and then it landed and the boy wasn't in. And that led to panic and a search because he must have fallen out. But it turns out that uh, he was just hiding in the attic.
0: Yes, for a six five year, hours. A
1: six-year-old boy hiding silently. What six-year-old boy is silent for five minutes, yes. let alone five hours? And they maintain that it couldn't be uh, publicity at all. Right. But anyway, so this, uh, this new poster, I got this poster within hours emailed to me uh, from one of our listeners, actually, who um, had doctored up uh, this uh, I Want to Believe poster with the weather balloon. On. Yeah, it's in there. And, and it, what's really interesting about it, and our producer, Lyle Skozy, who many of you have met this weekend, he and I were talking about the fact that it's the first time we've ever paid attention to a weather balloon, and we were saying, wow, it really does look like a UFO. Yes. So what was this all trying to cover up? Who saw something? So we quickly had to
0: create this story of a kid in a weather balloon. Right, because it seems abnormal that so many uh, different media outlets covered this story when there wasn't a story. The kid's hiding in the attic, and the guy releases this helium balloon but everybody runs around and chases it, and then there's the follow-up story. It's still on. It's after still three on. days, there's
1: no nobody was injured, nobody was harmed. The kid's fine. It's just after of, three days. The BBC does an update every 15 minutes. <laughs> yes,
2: best.
0: best, best. Yes. Best. So well, so that's that's the one. That's that the most we're, recent one. That that's the most recent one. Um, but you look, have a couple of real favorites. Real favorites. I like. Uh, uh, John F. Kennedy was a suicide. That's always good. I don't know how that happened? People applauding suicide. <laughs> yes. How uh. did he shoot himself from the fifth-story window? Um, uh, and I guess the Gulf War that uh, Saddam Hussein was the reincarnation of King Nebuchadnezzar, and that was a, a fourth-dimensional war going on through the portal of the Gate of Ishtar in Babylon. That Bush, as a born-again Christian, was fighting this biblical re-war. It goes on, I could go on and on about this, uh, the reason uh, the Americans ran in in March 2003, uh, had to coincide with a planet coming into our solar system every 25,000 years. Oh man, that one, I could talk your ear off on, but I'll spare you. You'll have to buy the documentary. (laughs) That's right.
1: well, one of my favorites, uh, and this is an appropriate place to talk about it. I don't think I've ever said that this is actually my favorite I because know your I don't. Favorite. I believe it or not, even making a movie about conspiracy, I'm not actually that interested in conspiracy. <laughs> uh, I'm interested in people who seek the truth. I'm not really so interested. Yeah. In Woo. Yeah. Fine. Good for yes. you. They know people who seek the truth. Yeah. Um, so, but there is there is a wonderful. I I mean, just as a storyteller, I I find this one enjoyable. The idea that there are certain filmmakers who have been set up as mouthpieces for the Illuminati, that they have been given access to certain information, that their careers have been set up. Uh, Some of the examples of these people are Dan Brown, who who, uh, did the Da Vinci Code, and, and though in speaking with other people who are experts in conspiracy, we all kind of have the feeling that he just doesn't write his books. Somebody else writes right them. Writes them, yes. Not the, not the brightest man you'll ever meet. But <laughs> um, And it's quite clear if you read Angels and Demons and you read Da Vinci Code, they were written by two different people. Yeah, completely uh, different. One thing. could actually write, and the other one could only steal conspiracy theories that other people have made their life's pursuit. Yeah, and make the chapters three pages long. Like, there's... But, uh, but this idea that there, are other, that there are other filmmakers and storytellers, George Lucas is, is famously one of these people. And, and so the idea is that they're given information either knowingly, either willingly, or they're just pawns. And they're sending out the information that the Illuminati wants us to have to either prepare us for things or to distract us from things. And of course, one of the people who is rumored to be uh, among these is Chris Carter. Of course. Yes. Um, who and yeah, a chill, who, chill A chill, a little laugh, and then a chill. But <laughs> that, he's, that he's been uh, either to, uh, given this information to prepare us for what is to come, perhaps, perhaps in 2012, or to distract
0: us from what's really going on. In fact, Chris Carter said to me uh, very early on in the series that he didn't want me going to science fiction conventions because he didn't want the X-Files attached to the phrase science fiction. He thought the X-Files was science probability, right? So that was quite different, so he didn't have us running around in space and jumpsuits. And, jumpsuit and I them. find it
1: interesting, and, and why I, one of the reasons that I, I do delight in it, not just being a storyteller, but, but also because throughout human history, storytellers aren't really understood, you know? I mean, no, mm. a lot of people have a hard time understanding an intuitive process. Well. Men have a hard time understanding <laughs> yeah, an intuitive process. And, uh, and, and so, you know, great artists, great storytellers are able to reach into the ether, for lack of a better word, or, or look deep within them and pull out things that they never knew they knew, right. but that turn out to be true. Um, because it it is an unconscious process. And I think we all have access to a great deal of information, a great deal of truth, a great deal of answers that that we're not aware of simply because it doesn't
0: help us in our everyday lives. Right. That woman came up to us at the Project Camelot, uh, which was a uh, conspiracy convention uh, going on in Los Angeles, and she was shaking and quite visibly upset because she saw in all of these movies, including the X-Files movie, Uh, All of this hidden, coded uh, information that she was seeming to be the only one understanding and that she could not believe that the filmmakers did not consciously put this stuff in there as a way of talking to her. And I didn't know what she was talking about, really, but I... So that made her more upset. And then I had to go do a conference, so I don't know what happened to her. You know what I I would love (laughs) to have you uh,
1: relay is the... uh, Was it Perry Farrell?
0: Oh, yes. From the band Jane's Addiction uh, and Porno for Pyros. Uh, Perry Farrell is a very uh, large believer in extraterrestrial life. And in fact, he refused to play music for the X-Files compilation uh, CD that came out just before the first movie. Because he said, because the X-Files popularized aliens, that it actually set back human-alien relations by 20 years. (laughs) And so he refused to participate in it, and he was quite serious about it. And even the record label thought he was crazy and released that quote uh, out of context. So it just says Perry Farrell says X-Files hindered human-alien relations by (laughs) 20 years. Um, But the idea being that if anyone now has any sort of extraterrestrial experience, anyone could go, ah, you just watched too much X-Files. In fact, I would think they would say that about me if I saw UFO now. They go, oh, poor Dean, he's lost it, he's with the show.
2: Mm.
1: Well, so. and also, I mean, the truth is, and, and you know, Mulder comes up against this, in, uh, does he not, in the show a lot, that uh, many accounts of people who have had something happen to them are shaped by the popular mythology of the time. Right. That when you are in an extraordinary circumstance... A lot of time you start to form a narrative, and it's based on sometimes movies and things that you've seen. Uh, the, The experience also from children who have been abused is one of this, and certainly we have a problem with this in the States of how to prosecute it, because children don't make good witnesses, because they will make up things based on horror stories and things like this that they've seen it's, it doesn't mean that they're lying, it doesn't mean that something didn't happen, it just means that something really awful did happen, and they're trying to tell a story out of it that will please the people who are asking them questions. Right. And so it's, it's, very, it's very tough. And, and we're so quick to pick at the details of the story, yeah. rather than taking in the person who is telling us and saying, you know, I don't believe that it happened exactly like this
0: person is saying, but something did happen. Something did happen. And that's the, the thing now. There's more uh, UFO sightings in Mexico and Central America than they are now in the US. In the 80s and 90s, there was, the majority of the sightings were in the US, and now they've shifted over to Mexico. Uh, and some believe that that's because uh, it's reverse engineering of alien technology, and that it's cheaper to manufacture in Mexico now. <laughs> So with NAFTA and the free trade, that it's all moved down there. But what's interesting is that during the 80s and 90s, there are all these alien abduction stories that included anal probes and all these weird things. And now that all these sightings happen in Central America, not a single story of anybody being probed or any sort of... They have a whole different relationship to... To
1: anal probes.
0: <laughs> yes. It's not upsetting to them at all. So it's not part of the, the mythology. Well, uh,
1: you know, the... Uh the swine flu oh, is another yes. one of my favorite conspiracies. Isn't it? Who's you know, got swine
0: flu? Did somebody have it here? I, yes. really?
1: I should stop kissing those pigs. But the, <laughs> the, um,
0: How did you get
2: that?
1: <laughs> the, uh, no, I thought it was very interesting. I mean, Dean would tell me, you know, right now the hotbed of UFO sightings is Mexico. And what's the first country that you can't visit because of the swine flu? It's Mexico.
0: Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That was yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Do you have it now? Is that what you caught in, on a plane? Or what?
1: Oh, are you place. gonna are you gonna share this with the rest of the okay. class? Yes.
0: Manu. Yes.
2: The invasion has begun.
0: <laughs> True swine flu. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, no, I it is really interesting. I don't know what the what the, you know, the belief about the swine flu here is here in Europe, I, having be, I was in London before coming here, and it was very refreshing because Parliament in the United Kingdom actually said, you know, to the pharmaceutical companies, you need to stop making up diseases to sell drugs. Right. Whereas uh, the,
0: the government Inverse. of the United States is selling the drug. Right. And a lot of it, and forcing it to uh, kids and people who work in medical fields... They, it's mandatory that you have to get vaccinated. So yeah. it's it's almost the in the exact opposite of the way the UK is treating it. So those are good conspiracies that we love. That they're are the latest. Any other questions? Someone else is getting Oh, yes, no. come, it's on, a race. come on. Oh the gentleman. Very nice, Kimo. Hello. Hello. What's your name?
2: Florina.
0: Hi, Florina. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking for the Chilean fans here. Hey, Chile! <laughs> Woo! You speak for all of Chilean fans? The ones here. Oh, the ones here. Okay, good. I'm wondering if there's something interesting, funny, happening with you and Jillian. With me and Jillian? (laughs) (laughs) Something interesting or funny. With me and Jillian. Uh, Let me think about that. Is there anything interesting for me? Um, No, we always... uh, There's no real funny story that I could think Wow. I know.
1: Quite obviously there are funny stories
0: you are thinking of that you can't share. No, I could share all of them because every time... You know, she (laughs) actually was the hardest uh, of everybody who worked on the set. She actually had the the most um, heavy lifting, as we say, on the show because she had to not only uh, do... A lot of the lines but she had to do a lot of wardrobe changes she had to run in high heels for crying out loud like you know david would just show up in a suit and he could do like three or four episodes simultaneously just going to different stages and all that and Jillian had to read her him. clothes
1: were so bad the first
0: couple seasons well yeah. that was a conscious effort originally in the script it was Mulder and the dowdy you know drown trodden assistant that the, the, the fbi that Scully was not supposed to be hot and sexy, originally. But then when they cast Jillian, and then all, everybody responded, then they sort of ramped up her look, as it were. But, uh, but it's always so weird watching the show now, because she's so serious, and I always knew her to be so funny on set that we'd have a lot of laughs and stuff, well, so. Well, that's,
1: that's why Three of a Kind
0: is so fun. Right, for- that's exactly, that is how she is. More to her personality than any other episode, yeah. uh, believe it or not, yeah. And if you see her in, on stage in the West End, you see her sense of humor coming out in a lot of those. Oh, yeah, Doll's House. Yeah, Ibsen. Ibsen's
2: hilarious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nothing says funny like an Ibsen play. No. <laughs> <laughs> did, any,
1: did everyone see House of Mirth, the movie that she's done in? Yes. She deserved uh, an Academy Award nomination for that. I thought,
0: yes. I think the pro- I didn't like the way the cinematographer uh, lit her. It seemed that she uh, wasn't uh, photographed the most attractively that the way that we got her on the X-Files. You're so shallow. <laughs> I couldn't watch her acting. I was just looking at her. <laughs> her lighting. Who's lighting her? Um, <coughs> no. Okay, come on. Come on.
1: Rush the microphone. <laughs> Sir, how are you? Uh,
2: fun, how are you? No, I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, so I have a kind of a three-part
0: question. Oh, three parts. Okay. Ask the middle part first. Yes. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, my, two of my
2: favorite episodes of The Long German are uh, written by Tom Schnauss. Oh, yes. Uh, that's uh, Madame and Madam and The Tango
0: One. And The Tango One. Yes. yes.
2: So, uh, do you have any anecdotes about...
0: Uh, I really don't. Oh, you... Yeah. Mean, <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, I don't think you were there. No, I was yeah. there. Um, well, the Tango episode was fun um, I mean, because...
2: About, uh, the writers being on the set Well,
0: Tom uh, had to stay in Los Angeles. Uh, I think he came up to Vancouver. We shot in Vancouver, but the production offices were in Los Angeles. So a lot of those scripts he was writing down there and sending them up. But I think he did come up for uh, uh, Tango. And Phil's just pissed at this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, he, um, he was also working on the X-Files video game at the same time. Uh, has anybody played that video game? Yeah. <laughs> has anybody got all the way to the end? Yes. No? <laughs> yes, two of us. Um, the, yeah, he had a, a larger challenge. He was happy to write the Gunman episode, but his mind was more preoccupied with that video game because uh, Chris Carter wanted the, a game, a first-person shooter video game, where the characters didn't use guns yes and so they they worked they they wrapped their brains around this forever and in the end they got guns because there was no no way so there's there's uh, there's parts of the game where Mulder will shoot a guy and then he'll come in and just repeatedly kick the dead guy like he just keeps putting the boots to him and kicking him and you're like Wow, this is the meanest game ever, I can't believe that. Why did Tom do that? But, but that was because it was two levels of, uh, of gameplay that were meshed into one. So, uh, so unfortunately that's the anecdotes with Tom. Now he's writing with Vince Gilligan on a series called uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, is that up here yet? Oh, it's really good. This is Vince Gilligan who was a writer on The X-Files. He's created a new series with the guy who played the father from Malcolm in the Middle. Um, and was the guest star in Drive. The guest star in Drive, yes. He's, uh, he plays a... I'm a file. You are. Hardcore. I like it. He, uh, he plays a high school chemistry teacher who uh, in America his teachers don't make very much money. So he goes and starts selling crystal meth in New Mexico. And then his whole... As he's dying of lung cancer. That's the other thing. So it's hilarious. Uh, no, it's very dark, and it's, it's hard to believe that it would, something like that came from Vince, but it's an amazing, amazing series that's doing very well right now in America, and I hope you get it here.
2: Yeah, exactly, so my next question was, uh, Vince Gillian has expressed interest in this uh, long-term movie project, were-
0: uh, Not in this one, but he has, he's always maintained that uh, for him, the Lone Gumman uh, is the one project that he uh, was most affected by its being canceled. Um, usually, we give
1: our website at the end of every episode, but this is a good uh, a very time. Good. We did a two part uh, podcast interview with Vince Gilligan uh, a few weeks back, a couple months back. A couple now. months back. And, a month and a half. Um, and all our episodes of this show can be found at, at our website, chillpackhollywood.com and uh, you can download them and stream them and even subscribe via iTunes yep. and uh, the, the Vince Gilligan I mean it wasn't I don't think our plan was to do uh, a two part episode but uh, it was such it a was, fascinating conversation it was fascinating and uh, I was actually really moved by what he had to say about uh, the characters of the Lone Gunman and the Lone Gunman show
0: yeah he was so. deeply impassioned uh, about that so, so yeah you can watch that podcast for all the answers you can that. listen to that podcast listen, listen. Yeah. yeah there's a bit of video on YouTube as well uh, that's a little teaser. You know, there are
1: some people out here taking uh, little videos and things like that. Oh, yeah. They should put uh, clips on YouTube and, and whatnot. Right.
0: Right? Because we're doing it too. Right. So I, they should help promote our show. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because you can become a fan on Facebook as well. Well, we'll tell them about that. Oh, yeah, we'll tell them ta- at the Have end. Have we gotten to part three of the question?
2: Well, part three both you can answer. So, uh, what's your favorite episodes of The Long Gumman?
0: Oh, my favorite episodes of The Long Gumman? Well, let's see, there's so many. Incorrect. Sure. That <laughs> that's wrong. Um, I loved, uh, of course, uh, the one origin episode, Unusual Suspects, where it showed how the gunmen came together and uh, I got to play Dungeons and Dragons for money. Um, that was in season five of the X-Files. Uh, of the spin-off itself, um, I really enjoyed doing the pilot. Uh, Rob Bowman directed that, who also did the first movie, and uh, it was really cool because, at times he would take over the camera. So he'd be cinematographer and director, and then just be like me and Rob working together late at night at two in the morning, getting uh, getting scenes down. So I, I always cherish that uh, experience. He still sends me a Christmas card. Yes, isn't that nice? Yeah. You know what story they, they, they might enjoy mm-hmm.
1: is uh, the story you told me about the episode Triangle. yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and about And and this plays back, in a weird way, this plays back into Chris Carter being a member of the Illuminati. (laughs) Because you had checked into a hotel in the Midwest, like Ann Arbor, Michigan, to do stand-up comedy. And you told no one where you were going. And as soon as you walked into the hotel, the phone rang... And it was, I have a call for you from Chris Carter.
0: Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. I actually... Satellites tracking, tracking your you. movement for This Chris is Carter. so weird. I'm doing stand-up. Ann Arbor, Michigan is in the center of the country. It's a tiny university town. I, uh, my flight was canceled first, then I had to fly to Toledo, rent a car, drive for three hours, get to Ann Arbor. I didn't even really know where it was. Uh, find my hotel and get to the comedy club within... Uh, I had a two-hour window. And literally, I check in out of breath, throw my luggage down, the phone rings, and it's Chris Carter. And I'm like, how? I didn't even know I was here. How did you know? How did you know this? And uh, he said, yes, we're doing Triangle, and <coughs> it's going to be uh, uh, just a one shot. It's going to be a steady cam and we want the whole thing to be one shot, so you really have to know your lines, because we're going to do the entire scene without cutting. So uh, your script will be delivered to you at your hotel. And again, a courier showed up the next day with the script at at the hotel. Yeah, and and there were all my lines. And so um, uh, the Steadicam, it was all on Steadicam. So this poor guy had to run around the entire ship and sort of film this uh, in real time. And we had a scene with Scully where Uh, the camera spun around us in the FBI office, then we all ran into an elevator, and then the elevator went up three stories, and we ran into a van and took off. To do that, uh, it was all done on one level. So as we ran into the elevator, and the doors closed with the camera inside the elevator, everybody went outside and rearranged all the furniture. And then different actors got in position so that when the door opened again, everybody walked by, then the doors closed, they rearranged all the pictures and everything again, and then the doors open and it looks like another floor again. So this was all had to be in one take, nobody screwing up any of our lines. So um, this was filmed in Los Angeles. I was already living down there, Tom and Bruce. Uh, so we got to the hotel, we got a six-pack of beer, and we just ran lines all night in the hotel room so that when we got to set next day, it was one take for our scene. We just did it all, and what was screwing up was everybody still in the frame hanging a picture when the elevator door opened. They went, oh, sorry, sorry, and so we had to do that again. But our, our lines, we got that scene, which was about a seven-minute scene, and normally you, you multiply by 10, so that should have taken seven hours. Uh, we did that in about two hours. And everybody was very happy. It was the only time in that episode we were ahead of schedule. <laughs> Thanks, beer. <laughs> yes. The old Canadian way of learning lines. Drink beer. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Take the long way around. What's
2: Everyone's your name? so
0: polite. I thought there would be like a lineup at no, the no, microphone. Hello? Um, uh, I have a question concerning Phil. Oh, yes.
1: Um, I want to know, Phil, which one of the lone young men
0: That's funny. Well, yeah,
1: uh, the facial hair and the fact that I usually wear a suit makes me buyers. (laughs) You look like buyers.
0: Yeah. Yeah? I could see that. But in personality. In personality, I I would be. uh, No, (laughs) Frohickey.
1: I'd be Zuleika Robinson. (laughs) Because you're a sexy hacker? (laughs) I didn't want to say it. Yeah, I'd be buyers. Would you be buyers? I think I would. Yeah, I'm not gonna be frolicky, dear God.
0: <laughs> Your love of pornography. <laughs>
1: well, 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 that would. Uh, apparently, that would make me David Duchovny. Okay. Ah, uh, look at you go. Um, no, I like I like the buyers character, and and, and the buyers character does have something uh, in common with me. I mean, I usually do. People look at me and tend to think that I'm very conservative. Yes. And that I'm somebody you know trustworthy and all of, of this. Neither could be farther further from so the truth. Wrong. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm the best person at keeping a secret because you know physical pain means means nothing to me. But I al- <laughs> but I alone get to decide what secrets are worth keeping. That's the that's the uh, uh, yeah.
0: interesting. So yes. In uh, fact, many people said, "Boy, you're the director is very serious." And I go, no, he's an idiot. He's <laughs> a, 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 a,
1: Serious uh, in a way that only the
0: truly stupid can be. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's Byers. Yeah. Okay, thank, <laughs> you. thank you. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, Linda. I lost my Oh, you did? Partying all night? Were you screaming? <laughs> <laughs> <your> t- woo <laughs> Seven dogs <laughs> Seven? Anyway,
2: I wanted to know, yeah,
0: other camping place. <laughs> wow. Are there plans of, of us, too? Not the documentary. Yes, well, we do have a, a script that we worked on together uh, about Dr. Royal Raymond Wright. back from the dead. Oh, no, no, no. You mean that? Okay. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, one of the first projects we worked on was um, uh, when I was researching different conspiracies around Southern California. There was one I didn't hear about that in the 30s, there was a doctor who actually
1: uh, invented a cure for cancer. Well, he wasn't a doctor. He was an engineer. He was an engineer. And, and a real renaissance person. He yes. Had, he had, 1931. He, he had been a, a commander in the Navy. He set the speed, the the, the water speed record as yes. a sailor. He was uh, a world champion rifle shot. He The sort of guy that really makes you realize how little you've accomplished. <laughs> yes. Uh, he... Um, he invented a microscope that allowed him to become the first human ever to see a a living virus. And it's uh, a microscope that's more powerful than what we use today, because we use, of course, electron and electrical microscopes, which generate heat and destroy their samples. And his microscope, I think which is still on display in a museum in in London, had no such uh, heat generation. It had something like 35,000 movable parts, though. So it wasn't practical as something that, you know...
0: Yeah, right. Because it. Daddy, ampli- for Christmas, will you get me the <laughs> microscope? Yeah. He, his name was Dr. Royal Raymond Rife, and he developed um, uh, basically a way of amplifying light waves. And by amplifying a light wave, you can then uh, witness it in a larger context. And he also found that light is but a narrow spectrum of a longer wave that includes infrared, ultraviolet, and radio frequencies. And once he realized that each cell as he was uh, working had its own uh, signature, its own sonic signature, just the way an opera singer can shatter a glass using harmonic dissonance, so too could he develop a machine that could shatter a cell knowing its harmonic signature. Without affecting healthy tissue. Right, other cells that had different frequencies would not be affected. So once you knew the signature of a cancer cell, you could destroy it just using sound waves and then be a cure for cancer. And so he went to a, uh, uh, a terminal uh, hospital in Pasadena and there were 90 people who had terminal cancer and there were, all of them were cured. Within
1: 90 days they were all cured to never have any... Uh, Remission. Re- yeah, it, it never came back. It never came back. In 1931, before these tests, there was a dinner held by the Medical <laughs> Association at the head of the Medical Association's home, Dr. Bill Bank Johnson, in Pasadena, California. And the name of the dinner was the end of all disease dinner. And within 10 years, and we have a photo from this dinner, within 10 years, everyone at that dinner would be dead, discredited, or would deny ever having
0: met him, even the people sitting next to him in the photo. Because the AMA came to him and said, we'll buy this machine, we'll test it for 10 years, and we'll give you 9% of the profit. And he says, I've already tested. I'll take 100% of the profit. And then his lab was burnt down twice at USC. His assistant was poisoned just before a press conference to announce this. And he was... Well, no, Mil-
1: Milbank Johnson, uh, five it. years after, the,
0: after those clinical trials,
1: uh, he was set to have a press conference to announce that it was a success, and he, he
0: died of, of poisoning. Before getting to make that, they don't know if it was yeah Yeah. how he was poisoned. It could have just been a happy coincidence, crazy coincidence. But basically, he was sued for the rest of his life for practicing medicine without a license, even though he never did use the machine. He had medical doctors doctors do it, it. but they uh, they they continually kept him. Uh, and Locked up in lawsuits, and he died in 1971.
1: Of, of really, really severe alcohol damage to his system. Yeah. And apparently he had used his own machine to keep himself alive while he was drinking himself to death because he was so miserable. There is, uh, apparently he was married. There's n- we can't find any record of what happened to his wife. I mean, she just vanished.
0: Yeah. She's buried beside him in a cemetery in, in San Diego that we went to. Uh, and we met uh, a 91-year-old woman who was 12 years old and remembers going to his lab and uh, playing there and seeing the machine, which her father was a doctor who used it. And so we have written this script uh, uh, set in 1970, just the year before he died, going into this whole conspiracy and, and the last uh, the last year of his life. We've come very close on a couple of occasions to making the film, to having the
1: full financing, and the, the sticking point... On more than one occasion has been about distribution where we've been told oh don't worry about that we'll handle all the distribution w- well yeah you need yeah. to guarantee that people will see this oh yeah don't worry about it we'll guarantee it and it became kind of apparent to us that we were being offered money to make a movie so that no one would see it and uh there had actually then i found out later been another movie made um a totally different story but about this man's life and it even though it has name actors in it, has never received any distribution at all. Right. So uh, that happens sometimes. Films get made
0: uh, uh, to, to be buried. Know. To be buried. Right. Um, As part of the conspiracy that you want to hear about. So, because who's By applause. Who's heard of Raymond Reif? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No one's yeah. heard of this guy. Yeah. And yet, yeah, it's really amazing. And you an can't. And,
1: and yeah, there's lots of records of him. Um, so yeah. Amazing. Wow, that's a downer. Downer, yeah.
0: man. Well, any no, other? No. Yes. Yeah, are we working on any happy comedies?
1: No, I've got that film about suicide that we're. Oh yeah, out. that's yeah. gonna be good. Yeah, that's yeah. a laugh
0: riot. Um, and I got that one of industrialized marijuana. Well, that could uh, be fun. That could be fun. But the staff uh,
1: meetings are hysterical. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course we did specters together. Oh yeah, specters. Wow. Wow. Yeah, one person. Yeah, no. It was a ghost story that we made. That's why he cut his hair. Yes, uh, as he said last night in the show. Actually, yes. uh, uh, he played a, a, a psychiatrist, and uh, in this science fiction ghost story that uh, also stars uh, Marina Sirtis from Star Trek: The Next Generation and uh, Tucker Smallwood from Space Above and Beyond, Alexis Cruz from Stargate. Yeah.
0: Anybody? David Hedison from David the original Hedison, The yes. Fly. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so yes. yeah, there you go. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah, walk all the way. No, she's leaving. <laughs>
1: this will be it. This will be our last question. Our last question. Make <laughs> it a good one. The
0: pressure's all on you.
1: <laughs> Everyone around the world is hearing this question. Okay. I have two things I'm not sure Oh, see, you, 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 you I put was too mean. much pressure on. You're already my favorite question, so go ahead. Uh. Um, so maybe you can just com-
2: make a comment on those two things. First of all, like is wearing this Berlin T-shirt, and it was very somehow a surprise. I don't know um, when we heard that you went to the Stasi places. And I guess it's for the documentary, and all. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that was fighting in in here start making movies about that topic like 20 years later so there's often this this thing and I don't know how it is in the US um, where uh, it takes the time um, for the people to actually I don't know progress with something so that the point is reached where they can
0: deal with it I
2: don't know yeah No,
0: this is actually
1: a conversation that we've been having the last couple of days a, a, a great deal. Do you want to ask the second part and then we'll comment on both of it? Thank you. Thank you. Okay.
2: Um, like we had um, <coughs> the uh, stand up kick by him yesterday and then also the musician, and both were so individual and fresh and, you know, so lovely. And I think, isn't there a connection between also. That you now, you too, and your, that this is so interesting. <laughs> um, because you are somehow so independent in what you are doing. Um, yeah, like the music, musician, if someone is a musician and signs somewhere on, for the big network, and like with, with season 8 and 9, and he can't decide on what's happening to it anymore. That the product becomes somehow less fresh like the things yesterday. Right, the, the, the idea of
0: independence and, and studio um, control.
2: Is yeah, that.? And, and that this is something that you enjoy? This is question. Oh, yes.
0: Yes, the joy of being on... What, on, what is your name? Uh, Unrica. Unrica. Unrica, thank you. U- Unrica. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Unrica. Yeah, uh, the part of independence, you know, for me, um, there's many of my friends who are actors who love nothing more than just being in a, a TV series or a movie and having somebody tell them where to go and what to do and where to sit and, and that's it. And they, you know they have a, no, and that, it's great. They they can do their internal process and 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 do the process of acting. Uh, but for me, I have a bit more of an entrepreneurial spirit, and uh, uh, I tend to be a bit rebellious. Uh, so if I'm under studio control, I've always fight the man, damn them. So uh, the joy of being independent and getting to come to conventions and do one-man stand-up and and. Uh, have my own company that has the chill pack uh, and produce movies independently. This is uh, much more satisfying to me than it would be just being locked uh, under control of a, a studio executive. So one, that, one thing that we speak about a lot the
1: on the show is about uh, marketing. Yeah. And uh, and how, like with the X-Files, season seven, eight, and, or eight and nine, You know, the decision was made by a a series of marketing executives. We can still sell this show, so you have to still make this show. The show might still be good, but it seems to us that that's already the wrong decision. The idea that you can sell it shouldn't be the reason to do it. The reason to do it should be that you're driven to do it. Right. That Um, is a story that you
0: desperately need to tell.
1: And that's it. We are storytellers. And you know what? We've made bad stuff, and we'll make bad stuff again. Not on purpose. (laughs) And it's every bit as hard to make something bad as it is to make something good. Mm -hmm. But I've lived long enough now to realize that that the really important story that's being told is the story that I'm living with my life. And is the life that I'm living a good story, or is it a boring story? And to (laughs) me, showing up for work on a project because marketing executives have said they could sell it. That's a boring story to me. And so I like traveling the world and getting to meet people and getting to learn things and getting to, share those stories and catching a cold on a plane sure why not (laughs) yes why not i could get the swine flu back at home (laughs) yeah this is i'm bringing back a souvenir from berlin (laughs) that's right (laughs) and and speaking of souvenirs well and speaking of berlin one of the things that we were talking about a, a lot i mean we were a little bit overwhelmed the first day we were out because it's you know every 20 feet there's a monument Right. right. Here, here's a monument to people who were shot. Here's a monument to people who were gassed. Here's a monument <laughs> yeah. to people who were shot and gassed.
0: Right. And how many monuments? Here's
1: a monument to people who died of fear of being shot or gassed. <laughs> yes. And Just keep but going. the thing is, is that so much of this, from the Stasi, uh, the, the the prison that you know you can go and take tours in, to the to these monuments, to the bunkers, to all these things, they speak to a determination to have the truth revealed and not to forget about the truth. And maybe it takes 20 years, but the, the th- one thing that is real different between Berlin and, and where we come from in the States, there are no monuments to unearthed truths back in the state. There are a lot of monuments to things that have happened in history, but they're all the official version of history. So either we have no secrets, <laughs> right? In America, that's gross. Or we have no intense motivation to make the truth known, so that it will never be forgotten, right? And that and was what struck me as a difference. And I hope that answered the question. Yeah.
0: So that uh, and
1: yeah. uh, that. That ends our Berlin episode of Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Has come to an end. Become a friend of the show on MySpace at myspace.com slash chillpackhollywood. Or a fan of the show at at facebook.com slash chillpackhollywood. Check out every episode, chillpackhollywood.com. I'm Phil Larenas.
0: I'm Dean Haglund. See you, everybody. Thank you.
1: preceding program is part of the farpoint media family of podcasts to find out more about farpoint media and the many other podcasts available visit www.farpointmedia.net a world of audio wonder awaits you there
0: this is odyssey